Welcome to another episode of the Everything is Marketing podcast. My name is Eric Hulkerin, and as I said in the last episode, all month long, we are digging into the business of cannabis. And on this episode, we're talking to Matt Abel. He's the senior partner at the Cannabis Council. They have been practicing cannabis and marijuana law since 1999. Excited to get his perspective on the business of cannabis in the state of Michigan. Marketers ruin everything. Welcome to the Everything is Marketing podcast. What I don't want to do is to pretend this is show number one. What would the hero of your life's movie do right now? Do that. Do those things. And I am so happy to welcome our guest today on the podcast, and it is Matt Abel. He is senior partner at the Cannabis Council. And Matt, first, thank you so much for spending some time with us, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Eric. It's great to be here on MLive. And so, Matt, one of the places where I wanted to start is the sheer complexity. I mean, we're two years into recreational cannabis in the state of Michigan. You have been on the literal tip of the spear since 1999, kind of working through this. Can you talk me through what got you involved in 1999 and sort of what that trajectory has been for you to get here in 2020? Well, thanks, Eric. It's been really interesting. I was lucky enough to have some friends who, uh, as my law practice was transitioning, when I was about 10 years into practicing law, my younger son was born, I took some time off. And then when I came back, I worked with some friends doing constitutional law. And the civil litigation part of it wasn't really for me at that time. And so they said, well, just, you know, stay here and figure out what you want to do. And that gave me the freedom to only pursue marijuana cases back when the only marijuana legal work was criminal defense work. And the other criminal defense lawyers, some of them said I was crazy because you couldn't develop a practice in that narrow of a practice area. And so I was just lucky. I was in the right place at the right time when medical marijuana came around in 2008. I mean, I had worked on the PRA 2000 Back um, in the year 2000, Greg Schmidt was trying to put a, uh, an initiative on the ballot. And uh, I've just continued um, working for drug policy reform throughout that time. And uh, so we worked on the PRA 2000. That wasn't successful. I uh, formed my own firm. Um, and we were able to work for... Uh, legalization in 2012, we had an organization called Repeal Today, which uh, didn't get enough signatures. And in 2016, uh, we worked on the first version of MI Legalize. And then on, in 2018, the Marijuana Policy Project came in and, and gave us a big boost. And uh, they formed a drafting committee of around 20 people. And I was fortunate enough to, to be on that committee. I always joke that um, it's not necessarily that I was all that knowledgeable, but they were tired about of hearing my complaints about the 2000 and about the earlier medical marijuana law um, in 2008 and how it was poorly drafted. And so they put me on the drafting committee, I think partly to shut me up. <laughs> and so um, that worked in, and in that time, um, I've been able to build a law firm of five attorneys and we all have transitioned from back uh, 10 years ago, we were all doing criminal defense. And at this point, there's very little criminal defense work. I'm happy to say I haven't even been to court in a couple of years. So one of the lawyers in our firm 
does all of the criminal defense work that comes in because now there's so many more attorneys doing it. And um, one of my partners came from a business incubator. So we're lucky to have a, a wide diversity of talent at, at Cannabis Council. That's awesome. And so Matt, can you give me kind of your perspective on why this was the time? You know, we've been talking about this. I mean, you've been talking about this since 1999 and obviously well before it was a conversation in, in on the national stage. For people who might not know, you obviously have a footprint on the national stage and the international stage, but your perspective on why now was the time for recreational ma marijuana in Michigan? Marijuana legalization ebbs and flows with the political conservatism, liberalism of the country. And so you kind of need to, it's kind of like catching a wave. You need to catch it at the right time when things are going your way. And um, the original medical marijuana law passed in 2008 when Barack Obama was elected president. So um, we had a big advantage there of a uh, liberal groundswell if you will. The other thing is that public opinion has changed so much in the last 20 years, where uh, 20 years ago, there were perhaps only a third of the country or less that was in favor of legalization. We've moved to the point now where it's the, the opposite, where only a third of the country is uh, really against legalization. So it was kind of a, a confluence of um, positive things in our favor. And it really is uh, time for that. We're seeing not only in, in Michigan, but there are several other states that have it on the ballot this year. And um, Mexico has been in the process of legalizing it for over a year now. Um, New Zealand has a referendum this election season coming up. And so it seems that it's finally taking off worldwide. Your guess on if and when this becomes nationally legalized? And if so, given the amount of attention the state of Michigan has, people are very, very excited about what's happening in the state. Will we be one of the states that sort of leads that if it becomes a national discussion? Well, we already are one of the states that's leading that. Um, Michigan has one of the highest populations of uh, registered medical marijuana card holders. So there's that big advantage. That's the perennial question about when will uh, legalization finally happen federally. And we have lots of friends and clients who are intent on that happening and um, are upset that it hasn't happened yet. I, I would like to see it happen. I think it needs to happen. But also in, in regard to federal legalization, I tell some of our clients, be careful what you wish for, because the fact that it's federally illegal and, and that people are having trouble banking and um, that the research is not happening so much in the United States that is happening in other countries because of it being federally illegal. We have uh, groups, um, entrepreneurs, who are designated as MSOs, multi-state operators. And those multi-state operators are larger companies that are moving to establish footprints in every state where it's become legal. The problem, the, the difficulty they have is that um, they, they can't just ship product across state lines. You can't have one large manufacturing facility in Colorado or California 
that then ships product to Massachusetts and Rhode Island and Michigan and Ohio and other places. So they need to establish a manufacturing facility in each of those locations. The other thing is though, so it, it is very well, uh, quite a bit split up. It's, it's difficult, um, more expensive, more uh, time consuming to establish a nationwide presence. But the fact that it's federally illegal is really the only thing that is keeping large corporations from um, overrunning this whole market. So while we can complain about it not being federally illegal, not being federally legal, this is the time for smaller operators to have a chance to get a footprint in the industry or a foothold in the industry where uh, once it's federally legal, it may be really difficult for a smaller operator to, uh, to get started off in this business. It's a really interesting marketplace. It's moving both fast and slow at the same time. From my uh, close perspective, some days it seems agonizingly slow, but then if you look back and reflect on where we were a couple of years ago, there's been just a a very accelerated movement toward uh, expanding the market. So let's let's talk about that. This has obviously been a very weird year for everybody. And there was a ton of interest adding into 420 in Michigan. And then we get to a global pandemic and quarantine. And it seems from my perspective, Matt, and I would love yours, it seemed that that quarantine actually, once cannabis was declared a an essential service, it seemed like that sort of was an accelerant to getting people to understand how this works in the state of Michigan when we were talking about brick and mortar and curbside and delivery. Is that a fair perspective? Yeah, I think that is fair. It's, um, we were delighted that the governor determined that um, medical marijuana is an essential service and not just medical, but the stores that are allowed to sell adult use or recreational marijuana are, are allowed to stay open as well. And so while other industries have had to close or reduce services, uh, the cannabis industry has not. And in fact, um, under the regulations that originally were drafted, drive-through service was not allowed and carry-out service uh, or delivery to a vehicle um, was not allowed. But um, because of the pandemic, those things have, have now been authorized and We'll see once the pandemic is over, which I hope someday it will be, that uh, we will see uh, whether those are allowed to continue. And uh, they very well are likely to be allowed to continue. We haven't seen uh, serious problems from those services. So it, I think it's, it's a benefit. The government somewhat was forced into taking that step. And now that they have, um, it has been a real positive benefit. Awesome. And so in June, it was kind of a busy season of legislation for the cannabis industry. And one of the things I wanted to get your perspective on, because I don't necessarily understand the impact, was the bringing together of adult use and medical marijuana into what I understand as one rule set. Uh, can you explain, A, what that is, and B, why that was important? Well, just to give a little background to that, in uh, 2016, we had the Medical Marijuana Facilities Licensing Act, which licensed medical marijuana growers, processors, and stores called provisioning centers. It also licensed transporters and testing labs. And then, so 
that began to be implemented over the last few years and stores were opening, growers were growing. And then um, once legalization passed, uh, there had to be another rule set because those are different in many ways. They're, they're similar in some ways, but they're different. And they're, so right now we're operating under two different rule sets, one for medical marijuana facilities and one for adult use or recreational marijuana facilities. And while that has led to some confusion and uh, some difficulties for the operators, uh, the, uh, the state and Director Brisbow has proposed uh, merging these two rule sets into one coherent set of rules. And um, so first of all, that hasn't yet happened. It may well happen in the lame duck session of the legislature coming up after the election. I have a draft of these proposed, uh, of the proposed merger bill, and I've only been through it once, but um, need to go through it a few more times. And um, in fact, I have a call set up later today with, with some other lawyers to, uh, to try to parse it out a little bit. We do have, I mean, it, it is burdensome for entrepreneurs because for a company to be pre-qualified, in other words, to be eligible to file an application somewhere, there's a $6,000 fee for medical marijuana pre-qualification and there's a $6,000 fee for recreational or adult, adult use qualification for a business. If that business wants to um, engage in both of those, they need to pay that fee twice, uh, $12,000. But that is only a one-time fee. Once the company's qualified, uh, that pre-qualification is good for two years. Within that two years, they need to submit plans for a facility at a particular address uh, and I think one of the biggest things holding up the development of the industry in Michigan is the unwillingness of communities to move forward and authorize these stores. Under the medical marijuana law, uh, the communities were to achieve tax revenue uh, for any, um, any facility that they had, whether it was growing, processing, selling, transporting or testing labs. But it very much is, I tell my clients, you know, half of the, of the issue here and half the problem and half of the opportunity is in real estate. So if you find real estate that works for you, buy twice as much as you need because the value of it is gonna go up markedly. You can sell the other half that you don't need to pay off the half that you do need and at least get a start that way. So there are a lot of, I mean, the real estate arm of it is a non-plant touching business. So we see a lot of entities which are just investing in the real estate and then uh, either flipping it with a high premium or keeping it and leasing it out. We're two years and some change into this. Uh, we're on, you know, on par right now to hit a billion dollars in the state of Michigan. Again, using your perspective, you said earlier, this is an industry that's moving really, really fast and really, really slow. What do you think the future holds in the state of Michigan as far as cannabis and the business goes? You've hit on some of the, the sticking points just a second ago, but what's the opportunity going forward? Well, many of the communities uh, indicated that they were waiting for the rules to be final before they move forward. They passed moratoriums um, saying this is a temporary ban. 
we don't want to have to rewrite our ordinance once the rules are final. Well, the rules were final on June 22nd, 2020. So it's been many months now, at least several months. And uh, so that excuse is gone. Any community that plans to get in on this should get in on this. Uh, it really is, it's doing a lot for property values and for revenue, both from um, property tax revenue and personal property taxes, which is the, the equipment that's inside of the business and all of that. And the other thing is some people say, well, should I just sit back and wait and see if this particular municipality passes an ordinance? And um, quoting Ralph Nader, politics is not a spectator sport. It's something that people need to get involved in. A lot of people are afraid how their um, comments might be received or how they're perceived in the community. My suggestion is to find someone who's on a first name basis with the city council, introducing you to someone who they know and trust. And, um, and then we need to educate the members of the governing board, um, both about to address the, the common objections um, and, and explain those away more or less, and also encourage them to use this as an economic tool to build their communities. I think we're going to see many more communities after this election. Um, I think we're going to see many more communities step up to the plate and use some common sense here and say, you know, a lot of industries have left town. This is an industry that is still on the rise. Um, many people compare it to the dot-com era where there was a 10 or 15 year run and I think we'll see that. I think we'll see at least another two to five years of this building out. Um, and then we'll have a shot in the arm when we get federal legalization. And also I think international legalization is, is going to come. Maybe not every country will move that way very quickly, but I think we're going to see it um, as a worldwide phenomenon here in the next decade. Matt Abel from the Cannabis Council. My friend, this has been amazing. I could listen to you talk about this all day. Thank you so much for the time and I uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you very much, Eric. I appreciate him live having me on. A huge thanks to Matt Abel for joining us from the Cannabis Council and giving us his insights. And speaking of insights, make sure you join us on October 27th at 2 p.m. for our event entitled Trending Now, the Cannabis Industry Insights presented by Select. Till next time, I'm Eric Hulkerin, and this is the Everything is Marketing podcast.